Welcome to Coming Home Well. I'm your guest host, Liz Booker, a retired Coast Guard helicopter pilot and writer on a mission to influence the demographics of aviation through story. As literary aviatrix, I have built a community of readers and writers around books featuring women in aviation and have interviewed authors about their books and their writing and publishing journeys. A large portion of these stories reflect the ways in which aviation history is indelibly linked to military history. This interview is a rebroadcast of the Aviatrix Book Review podcast in collaboration with Coming Home Well. While my interviews span the diversity of aviation experiences, I hope the ones that are featured here will educate and inspire those who listen. These are human stories of grit and courage, failure and success, that happen to be about women in military aviation from around the world throughout our history. Hello, I'm Liz Booker. I'm highlighting the women who flew for their countries during World War II. My guest today fulfilled a promise that she made to her late husband, Ed Ramsey, to write the story of his sister, Nadine Ramsey, who served as a wasp in the United States. She's joined by her co-author to talk about their book, Taking Flight, The Nadine Ramsey Story. You can find them on Facebook and at their website, nadinebramsey.com. Rocky Ramsey and Trisha Rand, welcome. Hi, thank you. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) I am so excited to talk about this very special story about your sister-in-law, Nadine. And Rocky, when did you meet Nadine? I met her in 1980, right after Ed and I got married in Las Posas, Camarillo. And uh, we were at the house of his son, Ed Jr., And that's where I met Nadine. He had told me all about his sister, so I had an idea. But when I met her, I just found what a wonderful, truly loving and caring woman she was. She never showed anything of having to have gone through anything. She was not a complainer. Even if she had pain in the back, she won't say anything. She's just concentrating on you, you know. So happy to meet you. So happy to be with me at present rather than talking about the past. So that's how I met her on uh, in December of 1980. Well, so you mentioned that she wasn't a complainer. Was there something that she might have complained about? Well, she had had all of this airplane crashes. She had had a number of... Uh, hospitalizations so she would and her back she had a problem with her back and the pain was constant and I think that that is just absolutely fabulous to have a human being who never comes to you because I know a lot of friends who would say oh I'm feeling so bad you know I've got this 
she would never say anything. So very positive. And that was also Ed. Ed was the same way. That's why he survived four years behind enemy lines. So I could see the kind of family the Ramses were. They were just a positive, strong, keep going, you know, never quit. And that's never surrender. And that's Ed. And Nadine was the same way. Did those things happen while she was in the service of the WASP? Well, she had the, uh, the, the airplane crash was in 1940. So this even came before. But you know how it is with nerve endings and with the whole physicality of the body? It starts taking its toll. And then when they tried to cut her feet, she said, I'd rather die if you cut my foot. And that's what she told the doctor there. And they were able to save it because she said, if I can't fly, I'd rather die. So this was the kind of woman about flying. Nadine wanted to fly. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And so, Rocky, you and Trisha worked on this book together. Trisha, how did you meet Rocky? Uh, I met Rocky in 2014. Um, my background is in screenwriting, and I was brought on board to work on a mini series adaptation of Ed's story. Um, so I. <laughs> I got to read all about Ed and his family and and the Ramses, and I was so immediately drawn in Ed's book um, to which is called Lieutenant Ramsey's War. Um, I was drawn to the character of Nadine. I, I was just astonished um, that Ed had had such an influential sibling um, in his life, and that she herself was so accomplished. Um, and so I, you know, I wrote her as a character into the miniseries script that I was working on. Um, and I also got to meet Racky around that time. And, uh, it was a wonderful experience working on that project. I'm still crossing my fingers that Ed's story is going to get the big cinematic, um, release that it deserves, but yeah, it was a, it was a great experience. Okay. So you, Rocky, you wrote the story of your husband and Why did you do that? And then why did you write Nadine's story? Well, I did not write Ed's story. That was done by Ed and Steve Revell, who was the co-author and won uh, two nominations for Academy nominations. And he is the one who gave me Tricia. He said she would be the best one to work with you on this uh, book. But uh, I wrote the book keep the promise to Ed. Ed told me when you retire, which was 50 years in the profession at Beverly Hills Unified School District, you're going to write my sister's story because she has more guts than I ever did. And I said, honey, that's not possible. You were the man who led the last horse cavalry mounted charge in the U.S. Army against the Japanese. Then you stayed behind enemy lines four years and formed the guerrilla forces. That's why he's special forces, Green Beret. And so I said, honey, that's not possible. And then when I started unveiling, opening this boxes, it was like treasures, opening a box, finding pictures, but not knowing who the people are in the photos, you know, but uh, 
Ed had given me some leads so that I was able to follow some of those things because he was still around till 2013. And that's when he passed away. And that was the year also that I finished 50 years in the profession. So I retired from Beverly Hills High School eight years ago. And I lost my love eight years ago. So it was a very tough time for me. And uh, I don't surrender. So Never Surrender became the uh, documentary. And I became executive producer for Never Surrender. And I want you to know that we were Oscar uh, uh, shortlisted. <laughs> so that was a very good thing. And uh, I, Yeah, it is. And so, my goodness, they're still selling. The, uh, the premiere was 2016 at the... Uh, Simon Wissenthal Center, and that's where we're doing Taking Flight the Nadine Ramsey Story with Jane Seymour as the narrator. So she was supposed to have lunch with Trisha and me in Malibu, but then the COVID came in and that stopped everything. But we're going to oh, pick so it up. That's so disappointing. <laughs> Very disappointing, yeah. So what did you know about the Women Air Service pilots before you met Nadine? And then what did you learn as you were doing the research, both of you? Trisha, you want to start? Sure. I mean, I I knew virtually nothing about them. Um, you know, I was introduced to them through the character of Nadine when I was reading Ed's book about the war. Um, and I, I was immediately fascinated um, because they have been such an unacknowledged part of World War II history, even among people who know World War II and are quite familiar, um, you know, with the various fronts and all of the, the different um, machinations of the war. And so I was drawn to her as a character, but then I, you know, ended up doing a lot of research into who they were, um, what kind of work they were doing, their qualifications, you know, it was so early for women in aviation um, it was early for aviation anyway, um, which hadn't been around as an industry that all that long. You know, when we think about like early aviators, we're talking about people in the 30s. So, um, you know, thinking about women who at that time were bucking norms and um, expectations to become pilots, you know, you you can imagine right away what kind of people, what kind of women these would have to be. And, you know, all of them had to be strong and determined and um, fearless in their own way. And so I, you know, really loved getting to do a, a dive into the research. And there are a lot of, a number of great books about the WASP as an organization, um, particularly by Sarah Ruckman, who has written, I think a dozen um, about them herself. So, and she was very helpful as we were researching for taking flight. I just posted my interview with Sarah this week. Oh, yes. great. Yes. 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 Got her. great. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yep. She's fabulous. We could have talked all, all day because mm -hmm. she, her, her knowledge is so vast and so yes. deep. Yeah. I don't know if anybody knows the story of the wasp better than Sarah does. I'm, oh, I'm yeah. not sure. Yeah. Other than the wasps themselves or even, even they probably don't know all the details, yeah. right? Yeah. True. True. Yeah. So and Rocky, how about you? What did you know? And then what did you learn along the way? Well, I didn't know just like Trisha in terms of the West per se as an organization, but I knew from Ed 
about Nadine being part of the West, especially because she was on the back cover of the Life magazine. And so that was, whoa, (laughs) she got the back cover of the international edition. And why? Because she was the only woman to own her own P-38. She bought a P-38. I thought that was so fascinating that here's this woman buys a P-38. That's her desire. (laughs) And she becomes the only woman who owns a P-38. And the association of P-38, in fact, they just did a review on her. And she's on the West Wall in in, uh, March Airfield. And there is Nadine. And so I thought, wow, she really was something. And he said, she's a pioneer. So he used the word pioneer ahead of her time. The same as mom. Mom was a dermatologist in the 1800s. She, you know, that's her period. And then she set up her clinic at the Lassen Hotel in Kansas. So here is this pioneering spirit. And I just loved it when I saw in the, in the Women in Aviation conference that there is a pioneer hall of fame. Well, guess what? I told Kelly Murphy, I am filling up the form. And when I saw it in the magazine today, there is B.J. Erickson, her commander. There is Mm -hmm. Iris Critchell in different years. And I'm going, oh, my God, these are the women that I talked to. And they are all in the Hall of Fame. And, of course, now uh, um, Major General Jeannie Levitt, who wrote my foreword for the book. I said, this is really the place Nadine belongs. So I'm going to submit entry for Nadine for Pioneer Hall of Fame. <laughs> Excellent. I can't wait to see her there. Uh-huh. That's amazing. That's wonderful. So what what else was special about Nadine's experience as a wasp? There was so much. Um, oh yeah. yeah. So, you know, the wasp, when you look at all of the individual stories of the 1100 women who did this job for their country, they're really varied. Um, but Nadine's path was also incredibly unique. She was one of the most experienced pilots that ended up joining the WASP, but but wasn't one of the originals. So originally the the WASP, what the organization that later became the WASP was the Women Auxiliary Ferrying Squadron. Um and that was, you know, I believe it was 27 women that formed that squadron that were already very experienced pilots. And they were just sort of trained quickly on military aircraft and they started ferrying very quickly. Um, and then when uh, Jackie Cochran came along and set up the WASP organization more formally um, through the Army and they started training at Sweetwater um, in Texas, those were often less experienced pilots who then were being trained to fly as well as to fly military aircraft at the same time, who then went on to, you know, fill, fill different roles um, in the war effort. Nadine was somewhere in between because she was already a very experienced pilot, um, but she had been actually training um, other pilots with CAP um, in Arizona um, with the Civil Air Patrol. So she had been doing that job instead of flying with the WAFs earlier. And um, so then she became one of the pilots that ended up going on to actually ferry aircraft along with a lot of the original um, 
you know, women of the ferrying squadron. So she was among a very few women who were ferrying, among an even fewer women who were ferrying uh, fighter aircraft. Um, and then among a very, very few women, only 26 women who flew, ended up flying the P-38. So lots of unique experiences as she made her way through there. She was, I would say, a mentor to mm-hmm. many of the others. Yes. Being older and with experience that she had, they looked up to her and they would get counsel from her. Mm-hmm. And because she's such a loving and caring person, the people got attached to her. The women just became real friends. And her real friend was B.J. Erickson. This was a real friend. She would visit her in the Marlora Convalescent Hospital. And every week we would go and see her. And there's also BJ. So we would all have a get together. And of course, I got to know the two daughters. And Terry Reinhardt is one of them. In fact, she was at the premiere of Ed's Never Surrender. And she will be interviewed for taking flight the Nadine Ramsey story for our documentary. And I mean, she's the daughter of B.J. Erickson. And so this closeness that Nadine had with the women was really so valuable for them because they knew here was this lady who did this. So if she can do it, we can do it. But it's that fighting spirit that all of them have, you know, doesn't matter what's going on. We're going to move on. And I think also what is important is that Ed felt because he fought for recognition for the Filipino comrades that he had during the war. He saw how hard that was to get recognition, to be given the benefits and the rights. 75 years, it finally came. And finally came the Congressional Gold Medal for the Filipinos. I just received it two years ago for Ed. Nadine got hers before that. But that was because the West finally got recognized. Again, this is all steps. They are not veterans. So as Ed was telling me, if they would die bringing those planes, ferrying those planes, they had to take care of their own burial. Everything. They were not part of the Army or the the Air Force or any Air Corps. I mean, so they were on their own. You talk about sacrifice. This is true sacrifice. I go there and they're not giving me anything to take care of myself. I think that that is a very challenging situation to be in. And Nadine said, I'm going to plow through because I want to do this for my country. That is true patriotism. And so Ed saw that and he said, my sister went through. I'm going through with the Filipinos now. I think that they all deserve And I'm so happy that we have a congressional gold medal for Nadine. So I'm very proud because I have two brother and sister with two congressional medals in my mini museum. (laughs) I'm very proud to say that, you know, and I think that that's also one reason that I would like the movie of Ed to be made, because this is really telling the true story. The documentary was great. But if we can have it on full film, uh, you know, uh, release, that would be terrific, you know. Mm -hmm. And so those are because you said what's going to be for my future. That's what I'm looking at. (laughs) My projects are there. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Mike, the Nadine Ramsey story. And then 
Ed's movie. That's the order. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. And those, those medals are very, very special. I'm, I'm yes. glad that they finally came in their mm -hmm. long overdue. Long overdue. But, exactly. Is there anything else that you guys wanted to talk about before we do a reading? I wanted to mention about Major General Jeannie Levitt. I wanted to say that it was such a thrill for me to meet her. And she said to me, that we have three things in common. And I said, really? What are those? She said, number one, horses. I said, you're a horse rider? She said, yes. Like your husband? I ride horses. And she has in the ranch in, in uh, San Antonio, Randolph Air, Air, Air Base. And then she said, number two is flying, of course, like your sister-in-law. And she said, do you know that I was there when the medals were given? She was at the back of the room. They had given her one ticket because she was, you know, in terms of her position. But she said, my husband is retired and F-18 pilot. They said, no, there's not space, only you. And so she's sitting at the back of the room. And I cannot imagine, she said, and there she saw what gave us the ability to fly now, the West. She said, that is who we are grateful for. And she said, now, Rocky, I'm meeting you. And there is your sister-in-law. She's one of them. And so well-deserved to have gotten that congressional gold medal, you know. And number three, I said, what's the third? I went to the Philippines with the Air Force. And she said, I saw Bataan, Corregidor, all the places your husband was, went through in those days. She said, he is a true hero. And so imagine that touched me so deeply for the first time I meet this incredible woman, F-15 pilot, you know, first aviator and, and, and a fighter plane uh, veteran and all. And she is so down to earth. And she's talking to me like we knew each other for a long time. I think that that was the most wonderful meeting that I had with a pioneer Hall of Fame. <laughs> of course, I knew B.J. Erickson, you know, personally. So I said, I have now three of them. Uh, Iris Pritchell, three that are in the Hall of Fame that I got to know, which I'm very, very proud to know. That's them. lovely. Mm -hmm. That's lovely. Um, yeah. One thing that I just want to mention um, is that working on this story, researching and writing um, Nadine's story really changed me. And not not just because the process of it was, was very different for me coming from a screenwriting background, but also I think that I think that people tend to think of World War II stories as existing a long time ago and the people who were there are no longer with us and none of it really matters anymore, especially among younger generations. That's an unfortunate, I think, but common sort of mindset. And especially in the field of women in the military and women in aviation, we know that there is not equality yet in so many of these fields. And the people who paved the way for women who are still breaking barriers today are not long gone. They are still here and their stories did not happen that long ago in the distant past. And I think that that was something that you only really understand the true impact of when you start to dive into these stories. And it really changed me getting to not only speak with some of the women who were there, which was incredible, 
but also getting to write down. It's a very 20th century story, but the impact that it is having now still on the 21st century is palpable and very moving as a woman in a field that has not always been completely open or accepting for women in my business. I'm, I'm thankful for all of these women that have gone before. And that was one of the things that, you know, reading testimonials from, from current pilots, female pilots really touched me about this story. So I think that people who might think that this material is dry would be really surprised. Um, to get into it. So that's one thing that I would like to, I don't know, just make sure that people, I don't know, consider when they're thinking about biographies or stories that are history, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, I couldn't agree more with you, Tricia. And I was just thinking about this the other day. You know, um, I reread another book, Flying for Her Country, which is a comparative study of, of the WASP and the Russian women who flew during World War II. And my friend wrote this book and I interview her. Um, but at the end of it, she kind of ties together the timeline from, you know, when the WASP were disbanded, when they had their first reunion in the 1970s. I'm a child of the 70s. Um, so, and that was the mm -hmm. first time, that was the period of time when the military services were just integrating their first classes that included women. And then, you know, I come into the military in the 1990s and I'm still dealing with, you know, like, oh, we haven't ever seen women before. We don't know what to do with you. And so yeah. like, <laughs> I, I was very similar. I studied, I've studied World War II. I have international relations and political science degree. I took Naval War College courses on historical battles and, and confrontations. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's the resonance of me personally being able to connect to my history that brings this history to mm -hmm. life for me and how that thread ties together. I've met some of the WASP. I've met some of the Russian women pilots. And so I agree with you. When Whatever way you need to find into identifying with that history, it's so rich, so fascinating. And you're right. These, these biographies are human stories. And there's... They resonate because we all go through trials and tribulations and we can see other people's strength um, in these stories. So really great point. Liz, where were you assigned in foreign service? Oh, so um, I was only assigned in one position where I was responsible for interacting in, in that capacity, which was my last tour as the senior defense official to the Barbados mm -hmm. in the Eastern Caribbean. So I, I was Barbados. the senior military. Yeah, I was the senior military representative. <laughs> well, I had seven countries. I lived in Barbados and had seven countries that I was working with. So when working. Oh, I yeah. see. Congratulations. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. You have Thank a you. fabulous background. Liz, oh, no thanks. Ladies, I would love it if you could both do a reading. I know that you both have something selected. Yes. Sure. Go so ahead. Who Rocky. wants to start? I chose when Nadine buys her P38, because to me, that is so fascinating. A woman decides this is what she wants. Chapter 11, her own P38 on page 154. Beginning in the spring of 1945, 
surplus warplanes were ferried to sales centers across the country, some of them by former WESPs. The aircraft ran the gamut from war-weary and damaged to those with fewer than 100 flying hours. In early February 1946, that resonates for me because I was born in 1946, February, Dean learned that nearly 500 P-38 Lightnings were for sale at Storage Depot Number 41 of the War Assets Administration, formerly the Kingman Army Airfield in Kingman, Arizona. There, thousands of warplas and decommissioned aircraft were lined up in rows across 4,000 acres of desert, waiting to be turned into scrap metal. The Lightnings, which each had cost $115,000 to make more than $1.6 million in 2020 dollars, were going for $1,250 per plane less than $18,000 in 2020 dollars. A P-38 at that price was a steal, but on her instructor's salary, Nadine didn't even have that much money readily available. She knew her brother would understand her reason for buying a P-38, so she called Ed and asked for a loan. When he heard what she wanted, he laughed and said, yes, on Valentine's Day, Nadine went to Kingman and found the plane of her dreams. She bought it on the spot, making her P-38 one of only 10 planes that were ultimately purchased in Kingman. She flew it back to Long Beach the same day. Sure enough, Nadine's purchase made the news. On February 15, the Los Angeles Times printed a two-column article headline. Woman goes shopping, flies home with P-38, noting that while most women are still waiting for their post-war dreams of nylons, clothing, and household articles to materialize, Nadine Ramsey of 5300 Hanbury Street, Long Beach, had hers all wrapped up yesterday. Only it wasn't a feminine item. Nadine, the reporter wrote, had stepped figuratively and actually into the stratosphere when she picked off a bargain at such a saving that womankind everywhere can envy her without reserve. She not only scored a neat victory over all bargain-hunting competitors, but so far as is known, she became the first female civilian in the world to own outright one of the world's fastest airplanes. And that was the plane that you see there. That's her P-38. That's fantastic. That's a really <laughs> great story. So I am going to read a passage from one of the beginning. The beginning is of one of the sections. So Racky was fortunately on board with this idea that I had as I was approaching the writing of the book to include sections that were told in a little bit more of a narrative style with a little bit more flair to the writing. And so this is a section about when Nadine first joined the recruits at Sweetwater Field to become a WASP and about training there. This is part three in flight. At the sound of Reveille, Nadine threw off her thin cotton sheets careful to keep them from falling in the dirt. 
The air was already humid and filled with the electric whine of insects. It was going to be another sweltering day with no rain. Yesterday's heat had melted into one of those brutal Texas summer nights that made it impossible to sleep indoors, so Nadine and her roommates, or baymates, had been allowed to drag their cots outside to sleep under a pearlescent half-dollar moon set against the brilliant swath of the Milky Way. A good night for night flying, she had thought, although neither she nor anyone else had been sent up. Meanwhile, they risked the darkness of night when the ground became rife with sweet waters ever-present tarantulas, scorpions, and rattlesnakes. But Nadine had learned to tuck her sheets in tightly around her body when sleeping under the stars, and that usually kept the critters out. Ramsey, a voice called, and Nadine looked over to see her best friend, Joe, comically struggling to wrestle her cot back into the bay where they lived. She jumped up, grinning, and hurried to help the petite blonde trainee, Helen Joe Severson, from Billings, South Dakota. Nadine and Joe had arrived at Sweetwater on the same day, and because their names were close alphabetically, had been assigned to the same bay. They had taken to each other immediately. Joe was sweet, stubborn, and deeply good-hearted. Nadine found it funny that Joe and some of the others looked up to her, although she was always glad to give flying advice if anybody wanted it. At 31, Nadine was the oldest woman in her bay, one of the most experienced trainees on the base, and because she'd been married, however briefly, to her high school sweetheart, she was thought of as worldly. Joe was 24 and married too. Her husband, Rob, was a captain fighting in the skies over Europe. She missed him terribly and talked about him daily. Nadine and Joe hauled their cots into the long barracks, where Nadine noticed with annoyance that, although she had just swept it yesterday, the floor was already covered with dust. Sweet water was hotter than Hades, as dirty as the dust bowl, and windy to boot. One of the girls had joked that when a windstorm and a thunderstorm happened at the same time, it was actually capable of raining mud. First up was flight instruction, so Nadine and Joe quickly changed, pulling on their zoot suits, standard-issue army coveralls, and pausing to tediously roll up the trailing sleeves and ankle cuffs. Nadine darted into the bathroom, where at least eight other women crowded around two sinks, frantically brushing their teeth. A couple looked hungover, some daubed on makeup and pulled rollers out of their hair. Nadine studied her own reflection. Her hazel eyes were merry and her cheeks sunburned pink. Once ready, she joined the formation outside under the direction of her squadron commander, Marianne Beard. As she waited for the last few trainees to hurry and take their places, Nadine thought about her brother, Ed, wondering where he was, if he was alive, if she would ever see him again. She imagined him thinking of her and Nell and of home. All this thinking was useless, she concluded, reminding herself that she was exactly where she needed to be and that Ed would be proud of her. That was lovely. I think it really paints the picture of what life was like there. And it also ties us into Ed's story. So now I'm at a place where I want to read both of their stories to really fully understand the dynamics of the story. I, I just want to thank you both. I mean, thank you, Rocky, for fulfilling the promise that you made. And thank you, Tricia, for participating in both the telling of the story and sharing um, the story of how you came together and how you wrote it. But really uh, being able to de delve into the individual personality of someone who um, you knew so well and whose story that you promised to tell, it's wonderful. Thank you for sharing it with me. Thank well, you. Thank you. Thank you so much.
Thank you for listening and thank you coming home well for your collaboration in helping these stories reach a broader audience. Writing is a deeply healing and cathartic exercise. It can help you process your experiences, whether you intend to share them with the world or keep them to yourself. Living the experiences of others through reading can also help heal, validate, and create a sense of connectedness. If you're interested in hearing about how these authors brought their stories to life on the page, check out the Writer's Room interviews on the Aviatrix book review website and podcast. If you'd like to join the book club conversations, look for the Aviatrix Book Club on Facebook. All are welcome. And connect with me on social media at Literary Aviatrix. I'd love to hear from you. Blue skies and happy reading.